Daily Gazette Company presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me for the Parting Shots Podcast studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another good show for you. Of course, Mike McGadden will make his weekly appearance at the track with Mac as we uh, look back at a dark day on Travers Day on Saturday, another horse death, and uh, Mike will talk about that. And he wrote a column about uh, they, that the uh, Naira should have uh, canceled Sunday's races, which they did not. Uh, I'll get Mike's thoughts on that and uh, what happened on Saturday. And then we look ahead to the final week of the horse racing season at the Saratoga Race Course. The Union College football team opens its season on Saturday at Hilbert. They have a new coach in uh, John Poppy. Uh, I was at the media day last Tuesday. I talked with uh, John Poppy and several of the players. Uh, we'll get their thoughts on the upcoming season, and uh, we'll have that interview coming up after uh, Mike McAdam. And then finally, we're going to break away from the uh, sports world and talk some uh, rock music. Uh, 38 specials appearing at the Rivers Casino on Friday night, and I had a chance to talk with their lead singer and co-founder, Don Barnes. I had a great conversation with him. And so you know, I hope you get a chance to listen to that and uh, enjoy it. Uh, so coming up, Mike McAdam will talk Saratoga horse racing in week eight of At the Track with Mac. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. The Track is your premier source of horse racing news and events from the daily newspaper of Saratoga Racecourse, the Daily Gazette. At the Track features racing tips, feature stories, picks by Matt Donato, Gene Kirshner, Jeff Carl, and Naira Betts. You will also get Mike McAdams' takes on the races. There are direct links to Naira Betts. You can find At the Track online at dailygazette.com slash category slash at the track. Want to get all the latest news from the Daily Gazette on your phone or tablet? We have an app for that. The Daily Gazette app allows you to read all the newspaper stories and columns from our dedicated team of journalists. The app is free. You can download the app from the Apple or Google app stores. Hi, this is Kenny Albert, the voice of the NHL on TNT, radio voice of the New York Rangers, and the NFL and Major League Baseball on Fox Sports as well. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor, Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. It's time for week eight of At the Track with Mac. Uh, Mike McAdam at Saratoga Racecourse covering the horse racing at uh, for us uh, for the Daily Gazette. Uh, Mike, um, you're in the booth at that Saratoga Racecourse, and I'm in the booth. <laughs> tough day Saturday at, at the tra- on Travers Day, Mike. Archangel, you know, puts together a magnificent performance in winning the 154th Travers. But by then, it was a dark cloud over the over uh, the race course after New York Thunder tragically broke down as he was about to win to Alan Jerkins less than two hours prior to the Travers uh, Stakes race. Uh, when he was euthanized on the track in front of a huge crowd, it marked the second horse death uh, of the day and eighth of the meet from racing-related incidents, and it came a couple weeks after Maple Leaf Mel broke down in the test. What is going on? Um, well... I get that question a lot, and it's there's no easy answer. There's no concrete, definitive answer. I mean, in the case of um, Maple Leaf Mel and New York Thunder, you had two three-year-old horses running seven furlongs, which is kind of a grueling distance. Um, 
Uh, D. Wayne Lucas told a couple of guys in the press box a few days ago that seven furlongs is is a is a tough distance because you have to go all out from this right from the starting gate, and but it's a long sprint, so you got to carry that over the course of seven furlongs, seven-eighths of a mile. So it's a tough distance. Those were both on the main track, and they were the only ones of the meet that have occurred on the dirt main track, this meet. The other six, due to racing-related incidents, occurred on the turf course. courses. Um, one was a heart attack, so it had nothing to do with musculoskeletal, you know, breakdown, broken leg or anything like that. Another one happened on the gallop out when the jockey was, you know, basically slowing the down, horse down after the horse had finished the race with no problem. Um, so, as always, there's no common theme or thread that you can identify where you can kind of pinpoint, okay, um, these all happened because of X, so let's fix X. Um, I, I'm utterly convinced that the track surfaces have been safe. Uh, New York Racing Association is, has, is like the prime, premium, premier, whatever you want to call it, um, uh, organization as far as routinely checking the race surfaces to make sure everything's okay, they're consistent, the cushion is w w what it's supposed to be. Uh, There's a daily routine for them. Um, their protocols have actually been part of the model that was used to, to create the, uh, you know, the rules and regulations that the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Authority adopted. Um, so they're really on the cutting edge and, you know, not just overall, but, but doing it on a daily basis. Um, so, again, I, I don't there's nothing wrong with the tracks as far as I know. Um, you know, it's easy to make the logical conclusion, well, horses broke down, that means the tracks are unsafe, but, um, you know, it's a fallacy when there's so many other factors involved. <clears throat> you know, and I'm not going to get into the whole laundry list of, you know, the breeding and the this and the that. I mean, that, that would take all day. Um, fact is, it's, it's large animals going very fast um, and Sometimes the physical forces are such that, uh, you know, bad things happen. Um, you know, and I don't want to sound glib. I hope I don't sound glib about it, but um, um, it, it's going to happen. You just do what you can to treat them humanely all the time and make sure the conditions they're running under are safe as you can make them. Um, and I believe they do that around here. But bad things are still going to happen now this year the, the the number eight is is uh bigger than what it's been for the last like at least five meets from what i did dug up on the uh state gaming commission uh database that you know keep tracks these things um the, the Maple Leaf Mel and New York Thunder ones were unique because, well, I shouldn't say unique because they they were almost identical them, themselves, but they were such high-profile disasters. They were on TV. They were in front of the two biggest crowds of the meet. Maple Leaf Mel happened on Whitney Day three weeks before the Travers. They had 43,000 people here. They had 48,000 people here on Saturday for the Travers. So it was the perfect storm of a disaster, of a bad thing happened. It was very visible. It happened right near the finish line. Both horses were on the verge of winning big grade one races um, and then had to be euthanized right there. I mean, the, the injuries were catastrophic, and so they had to be humanely euthanized on the track. 
in front of everybody. So you throw all those those things together, and it, it, you, you had one horror show followed by another horror show, and it, you know, it really, I feel bad for. Well, I, I shouldn't say I feel bad for the Archangelo people because they were able to enjoy their moment, but it happened on a day that you know really was um, it had a dark cloud hanging over it, um, which led into Sunday too. Um, but so um, I'm in a roundabout way. I'm sure I did not answer your question because I don't have the answer, but I get the question a lot. And and try to you try to answer it as best you can, but the you know bottom line is there there's just no clear, concrete, definitive thing to link all of these things or or to to give you know a satisfying answer that people you know will will take away and say okay uh, that that was answered for me. I mean, um, uh, your your ignorance is your own ignorance can be sort of chilling and depressing at times, but. You got to try to answer these things the best you can, and, and I hope I do that whenever I get the question. Yeah. I mean, I watched the broad, Fox Sports broadcast, and the minute that happened, it just it, a Paul went over that entire broadcast. They credit Fox for not showing any replays of that race, but you could just tell it was just somber from, from – uh, the rest of that before the rest of that broadcast, I mean, I, the excitement really wasn't there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was in the press box watching it on the monitor because it wasn't one of the undercard races that I was scheduled to, to, to cover. So otherwise, I would have been down in the winner's circle like I was for Maple Leaf Mel. So I saw it on the monitor and just like involuntarily stomped my foot on the ground and, and walked out to the like into the main body of the press box to the front to look out the window down on the track to see what happened afterwards and people were just shocked and gasping and crying and uh you know you got the full spectrum of reactions when something horrible like that happens you know it's really really good horse on the verge of beating other really good horses in a grade one race and just you know breaks down at the 16th pole gets up you know starts trying to walk around and and you just can't and uh so it's just a really sad thing and and a really shocking uh scene for everybody that was in attendance and watching it on tv yeah you mentioned sunday and there was some thought as to whether i think a lot of people are calling for naira to cancel sunday's card uh you wrote a column that they should have uh why didn't naira cancel it and then just went on about their business for the simple reason that they did extra testing and, and interviewed trainers and jockeys and vets and got the green light from all of those people that the tracks were safe and, and gathered all their usual data and, and did extra checking and everything pointed to the tracks being safe. And I don't doubt that they were safe. Um, so that that's sort of like their... Uh, their invisibility cloak to run the card you know this is what you, hey look our surfaces are okay that means we're we got the green light to uh, to run our card i interviewed uh naira ceo and president dave o'rourke sunday afternoon and 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 you know said did you guys think about canceling and I mean, I, I guess it was on the table, but, you know, they were out here at 630 in the morning on the backstretch interviewing trainers to see if they could get any glimmer of doubt that the tracks were safe and they didn't get it. So it was, you know, full steam ahead, business as usual. Um, I, I wrote the column because I thought it was a moment for them to 
kind of, you know, communicate a message of solidarity to the fans and the horsemen and, you know, the jockeys and especially the horses um, that, hey, we're with you and we feel you and we know, you you know, what you had to witness on Saturday was was horrifying and and traumatizing and and, uh, will linger with people for a long time. I thought it was an opportunity for them to kind of say, hey, we're we're with you guys and and we're in the same boat, Um, even though as far as they knew the the track surfaces were fine and and they could uh, they were good to go to race um they you know when these things happen as i already mentioned there's a lot of factors and the only one that naira can really control is the condition of the track and as dave o'rourke said we're as far downstream on the you know, the procession of things that can lead to this as you can get. And if, if the one thing that we can control says we, we we're okay to race, then we we're okay to race. Um, but I, you know, I still said, you know, it would have been a purely symbolic gesture if they canceled on Sunday, but you know, symbols have a lot of power too. Um, and, and it sends them again, a message that, uh, Hey, we, we understand you guys are, you know, had a rough day having to see that and and, you know i mean the the trainer of the horse and the owner of the horse had to experience all that and i thought it would be kind of a uh you know symbolic gesture but an important one and a powerful and meaningful one if they canceled uh i will say that um naja thompson who's uh one of the honchos over at the new york thoroughbred uh, thoroughbred um organization was walking through the press box uh sunday morning well before the card probably around 10 30 and he i ran into him and was just talking to him briefly he said i'm surprised they're running and i told him i feel bad for you guys because sunday was the big new york bread showcase day they had six or seven stakes worth one one and a quarter million dollars um every race even the non-stakes races were restricted to new york bread so it was like their one shining moment to you know, kind of be the the stars of the show for one day. You know, the New York bread program that you know Naira supports. So they were. I, I felt bad for those guys because if you cancel, then you cancel this great card with that's supposed to be their big showcase day. But if you don't cancel and you run the card, then there's this shadow hanging what over what what's supposed to be your you know your really big day here and probably people thinking that you know why are they running today and and so they they kind of got stuck with the the role of you know being the first uh, card after saturday's uh you know horrifying events um so and again um you know i know naira indirectly kind of kind of as I wrote my column, they didn't send this message, but a lot of people received the message that they're, you know, kind of callous and greedy by running on Sunday. Um, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of people felt that way. And you really want people to to think you're like this cold, greedy organization that runs, um, you know, a day after two horses died. I forgot to mention uh, earlier in the card on Saturday, another horse um uh, broke down on the turf course in the fifth race and had to be euthanized. So, um, so yeah, you know, I, I thought that it would have it would have done them a lot of good and um, getting the good graces with the public by canceling on Sunday. I understand their you know their reasoning was the tracks are safe. Every all data, all indications that the tracks are safe, so we can run and. Uh, you know, again, it's, it was like their one shield against criticism. You know, I, I'm sure they expected some criticism, and they got it. But um, 
yeah, I just didn't. I thought it would have. Um, it, it was a moment where they could have kind of extended a little, you know, let everybody catch their breath and, and let them know that hey, you know, we know you guys are, you know, had a rough one on Saturday. Well, let's take a quick break. We'll have a couple more questions from Max as we uh, look into. Uh, yeah, the, talk about the uh, Traverse Stakes and the great performance by Arcade. Yeah, let's talk about that. And, and, we'll, and we'll look at to the final week of the uh, season here at Saratoga. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. I'll never forget the day I decided to go out for the football team. Mr. Banks. The JV football coach and my history teacher asked me to stay after class. I thought I was in trouble. He said, hey, Darius, have you thought about going out for football? I think you'd be great. Fact is, I never played football. Fact is, I never had anyone tell me I'd be great at something. So with no experience at all, I signed up. And a week later, I padded up and was running drills on the field. I never was great, but playing high school sports was one of the greatest experiences of my life. I was accepted by my teammates, and I learned that when someone believes in you, you can believe in yourself. Encourage a student you know to take part in a high school sport. This message presented by NISFA and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, this is Daily Gazette editor Miles Reed. And you're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Shot. Welcome back to the podcast. Mike McGadden uh, joining me for his uh, At the Track with Max segment here on the Parting Shots podcast. Okay, let's look outside of what happened in the fifth race and the Allen Jerkins. We saw some brilliant performances on the undercard. Uh, and of course, Belmont Stakes winner Archangelo in uh, meet that saw all three uh, triple crown winners uh, race. Uh, p- p- wins that race and uh, also beats a Forte. So, uh, what, what were your thoughts on that race? Um, it was tremendous. Uh, really happy for the connections. Trainer Jenna Antonucci, the the owner John Ebert, who um, even before they won the Belmont back in June, they were getting tons of calls and they, they were kind of joking that uh, Jenna w- was serving as the buffer for all the phone calls, people trying to buy a piece of this horse, and then. Um, uh, after the race on Saturday, I went to go see Jenna Antonucci on uh, Sunday morning, and I, you know, asked her, "Are you still getting the phone calls?" And she said, "Nope, nobody calls anymore," <laughs> which is a relief for her. I said, "I guess they got the message." She she was like, "Yep, we we're not selling to anybody." Um, the race itself was, you know, it was a nice setup for Arcangelo. Um, as expected, Scotland, the Curlin winner, was out on up front, and, and National Treasure, the Preakness winner, was kind of stalking closely behind him. So the two speed horses kind of did their job. Javier Castellano rode a great race on Arcangelo, um, got the jump. Um, I believe um, uh, the the. Gustavo Delgado Jr. was having an animated convers- one-sided conversation with Flavian Prada on the track. I was kind of standing near them, um, and Flavian wrote, rode the uh, Derby winner Mage, and he came in last place and just was never in the game at all at any point. And uh, I heard from someone later that apparently he didn't. 
Oh, well, yeah, they talked to um, Delgado Jr. Uh, the following morning, and, and uh, apparently he was mad at Flavian Pratt for, for warming up Mage too aggressively before the race and maybe he left his race on the track while he was warming up. So uh, Mage was not even in the picture. Great win for Arcangelo. Um, of course, there was a rainbow that was uh, that came. You know, everybody was still thinking about what happened in the Ellen Jerkins. And then, of course, this rainbow comes out, this gigantic rainbow, like right over the starting gate With when we were in the winter circle looking up the track at the gate um, at the eighth pole. <laughs> so, of course, the rainbow has to come up. Um, a great win for Arcangelo. Um the most likely scenario is that he'll train up to the uh, Breeders' Cup Classic in November and not race again until then. Um, as far as I'm concerned, he, a three-year-old's going to have to win the Breeders' Cup Classic, which is going to be difficult to uh, to to uh, take the Eclipse Award. I, I believe Archangelo basically clinched the three-year-old male Eclipse Award by winning the Travers, backing it up after the um, Belmont Stakes. Um so he's clear, clearly the leader of that division. Um, and besides that, uh, there, there was some really good stuff going on Saturday, including Gunite beating Elite Power last year's, uh, you know, male sprint Eclipse Award winner in the uh, in the Grade One Forgo. That was cool. And then uh, also, I was really looking forward to seeing Echo Zulu and Ballerina, and she showed up too and, and beat um, Goodnight Olive in that race. Uh, by two and a half lengths. So um, the two sprinters in the seven furlong grade ones for older horses uh, really showed up. Um, I don't want to forget to mention that back on Friday, you know, we had talked a lot about the personal ensign in the lead up last week and, uh, it, you know, being a big matchup between Nest and Clarier and then Idiomatic, a really, really good filly for uh, trainer brad cox she she winds up winning the thing and beating both of them um that's just didn't have her kick at, at the top of the stretch that she usually shows track condition might have had something to do with it and clarier just didn't get the she really is dependent on a, a you know fast pace up front she didn't get that so she um she was nowhere to be found and, and that opened the door for idiomatic to uh win the personal lines and i wanted to make sure we didn't forget to mention her yeah well let's uh, quickly look ahead to the closing week and the stakes that are on tap uh this week yeah um closing with a bang um on saturday we got the jockey club gold cup which is a win and you're in qualifier for the breeders cup classic and the flower bowl which is a win and you're in for the uh, breeders cup philly and merrick turf um don't know who's in there yet um and then of course, Sunday and uh, Monday, Labor Day, um, the last leg of the uh, two-year-old graded stakes for uh, on the dirt, the, the spin away on Sunday, and then the hopeful on uh, Labor Day. Um, those are always fun to watch because it's the really good two-year-olds um, knocking heads. And, and one other note heading into the final week I wanted to mention is that uh, I talked to trainer Linda Rice this morning for a story I'm going to write for Friday morning. Um, because she's had an absolute phenomenal meet, even if she gets skunked over the final six days. She's got 28 winners, the most she's ever had, again, with six days left. Um, and she's only two behind Chad Brown for the uh, trainer championship, which she won uh, back in 2009. With It was like a 
boxing match with Todd Pletcher all the way, and she, you know, they were always separated by one or tied for the whole meet. She wound up pulling it out on the last day with 20 winners. She's got 28 now. She's two behind Chad. And I asked her, uh, can you catch him? Or can you, you know, you got six days. Can you beat him? She just very honestly smiled and said, unlikely. <laughs> I thought that was an honest answer, but she's just thrilled with the great meet. I've been meaning to talk to her and, you know, but so busy with other stuff and finally had a good chance to catch up with her this morning because she just had a tremendous, tremendous meet, including going back to New York Showcase Day on Sunday. She had uh, Ichiban win the Fleet Indian, which is, uh, you know, for the three-year-old Phillies. So she had a, a nice win on New York Bread Day on uh, Showcase Day on, on Sunday. So we'll keep an eye on that race. The jockey race, uh, I'll just close out with that. Um, that race has been over for a long time. Irad Ortiz has 50 going into Wednesday's card. Jose, his brother, has 32. So that baby's over. But uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on the trainer race, uh, Dave, through uh, Labor Day. Okay. Well, we'll wrap things up next week uh, and get your review of the entire meet. I, I think we know sure. where it will be, <laughs> unfortunately. There's a lot to cover. <laughs> yeah. It's been a little strange uh Unfortunately, tragedy. The meat from hell. Yes. Well, Mike, appreciate a few minutes, and we'll do it again next week. All right. Thanks, Ted. All right. That's Mike and Gavin coming up. A preview of the Union College football season. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Hey, Auto Racing fans, the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest is back. Here's how to play. Pick the top five finishers in the weekly NASCAR race and get a chance to win a $50 ShopRite gift card. To play, go to dailygazette.com and click on the Auto Racing Contest banner. The Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest is run by the advertising department and not affiliated with the sports department. Hi, this is Union College Athletic Director Jim McLaughlin. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Sports Editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. The Union College football team opens its 2023 season Saturday at Hilbert. It's a new era for the Garnet Chargers, a new nickname, and a new head coach, John Poppy. He takes over for Jeff Behrman, who left to uh, go take the job at John Carroll, his uh, alma mater. Uh, that happened uh, after last season. Uh, John Poppy has brought a lot of enthusiasm and energy to the uh, team, and that's noted in some of the uh, player interviews I did uh, during Media Day last Tuesday at Frank Bailey Field. Well, let's start our interviews and preview with the head coach, the new head coach of the uh, Garnet Chargers, John Poppy. Welcome back to the podcast. And the last time we spoke was at your introductory press conference. And now you're getting ready for your first season as head coach of uh, the Union College football team. What's the excitement level for you at this point? Oh, it's pretty high. <laughs> it's pretty high. And you know, I joked with the team the other night that I'm just worried about pulling my hamstring when I run out with them the first time. Because um, just like every day, and I think the team feels it. I'm excited to be out in this field every day with them. And um, that passion has has been consistent, I think, for them. And it's it's been a great experience thus far where does that energy and passion come out of you i mean where does that have you I, you know back, i remember back in the introductory press conference how enthusiastic you were and i think maybe some of these guys are ready to run through a wall for you i mean where where did how do you do it uh i don't know it must be genetics i said i jokingly said it was my mom but you know it's just uh the way i've been and i have found my calling and it's easy to be passionate about that when when you know you're doing the right things for for yourself your family and and your future so um it really just stems from that 
as you get ready for the season and the number of workouts you've had, what have you seen, what have you liked, and what needs to be improved upon before you hit the, the season opener? Uh, definitely have loved the, the physical competitive nature of the team. Um, you know, they've done a great job in terms of drill to drill, understanding what we're trying to accomplish to get each other better, to challenge each other, and then they leave it there. There hasn't been any scuffles in terms of disagreements, you know, uh, because a guy cheap shot a guy. They've been practicing a good, clean way and, and playing with passion on an individual level and on a unit level. So that part has been really impressive, and I couldn't be more excited about that part. Um, in terms of improvements, it's just continuing to get better every day, right? And we talked about today, this morning after practice, just finding the beauty and redundancy. Uh, it's a, you know, kind of a phrase I had learned and really appreciate it because there's going to be drills you do every day. And it's not just going through the motions. It's understanding why we're doing that. It's to consistently get better in those small environments and those small spaces. That's going to make a difference between making a tackle, missing a tackle, which could lead to a game one or a game lost. How important is it for you to lean on the, the, the veterans, especially the fifth-year seniors that are here? Uh, you know, if you ask them questions of what things were like prior to you got here? I mean, I ask for their input. Right? We have a leadership council. We have our captains. And I say, hey, this is what we're thinking as a coaching staff, and this is why we think this way. And they've been great. They've responded great. And you know, I think as coaches, we've done a great job listening to them too. In terms of, hey, coach, you know, our legs are all dead. You know, can we taper back practice a little bit? Sure. And we'll still be competitive because that soreness is sometimes good to work through. But, you know, we want to make sure we're not putting ourselves in a bad situation for gameplay, you know, games either, right? So I think it's been a great working relationship thus far, and, and we're all seeing eye to eye and doing things the right way. How has the adjustment been for you going from an assistant coach to a head coach? What differences have you seen? I don't think I've changed. At least I hope I haven't. And, you know, Coach Flanders has known me a long time. Uh, Coach Gallagher, who's our quarterback coach, has known me a long time. And I hope they say I haven't changed. I think from my, my mindset, you know, being the special teams coordinator to now, right, I was empowering assist, assistant coaches to help me in drill work. And now it's just across the program in terms of helping people make certain decisions to have ownership in it, right? That's where you really get a great culture and a great atmosphere where every person has a role and has an opportunity to have a say in how this program operates. And that's really been my, my biggest thing and challenge to myself is to make sure I'm empowering other people and I'm not just trying to take ownership of every little detail. Have you had a chance to look at game film from last year and what have you noticed and what needs to be worked on? Uh, I looked at gameplay last year, uh, probably a week into the job. And I, I think for me, it's just, it's just the little parts of the game, right? And, and fundamentals of the game, in my personal opinion, with you know, special teams, offense, defense, just little things that we can clean up from an overall athleticism standpoint. Um, and I, I think we've done a good job as offense and defensive coaches and even myself as a special teams coach is just taking what I saw on film and saying, hey, this is what I want to clean up. This is the goals for this drill and this drill to make sure it transfers over to the greater overall aspect of the game. Everything we do special teams carries over to offense and defense as well. So everyone is incorporated in those drills. Let's talk about the offense. What do you want to see out of them uh, this year? I just want to see good, clean game for four quarters, uh, right? Not shooting ourselves in the foot with penalties, right? Making sure that when we have an opportunity for an explosive play, we capitalize, right? And finishing drives. I think that's a big thing for our offense and challenge to our offensive line and, and Donovan Piketty, our quarterback, is to make sure that, hey, it's not just satisfying to get to the plus 25. Now it's about finishing the job. And they've done a great job thus far through camp and, um, I'm excited to see that show up. What about defense? Defense, take the ball away. Right? I don't know if we did that enough when it mattered. 
And I think that's a, a big thing that Coach Flanders has harped on in terms of incorporating the turnover circuit much more frequently uh, during preseason camp. And that, and that has definitely shown to, to be a big thing so far during camp. When you were hired, you were named the head coach of the Union College Dutchman. When you take the field, it's going to be the Union College Garnet Chargers. What are your thoughts on the nickname change? I know you haven't been here that long, so uh, it probably doesn't matter to you, does it? I wouldn't. I mean, people are passionate about Union football, and that's the, the most important thing to me. It's about Union football. It's about Union College. They didn't choose a college because of a mascot. They chose it because of a place and how it made them felt, feel. And my hope is our players have done a great job in terms of focusing on that side of things, that it's Union College we're representing, and we're going to play football the way Union College deserves to be played. John, appreciate the interview, and uh, good luck this season. We'll probably talk uh, some time to time during the season. Ken, appreciate your time as always. Let's start with the player interviews and defensive lineman Deionis Polanco. He played in all 10 games last season for the uh, Dutchman. At the time, they were the Dutchman, so I can say that. Um, he recorded 28 tackles and registered three tackles in a game against St. Lawrence. Here is Deionis Polanco. Been, been with practice uh, under a new coach. I think being under a new coach has definitely brought some excitement to the program. I mean, um, we're excited we're flying around we're competing like we've never competed before and i feel like guys are really hungry to get back on the field together so it's been a really good summer so far i remember the introductory press conference for john poppy and he was so enthusiastic and excited i think he was ready to go there has that translated into the uh, preseason practices he's been the same guy since day one i mean since we went and we interviewed him as a team like we were bought into him then and he has now put together a staff around him that matches his energy his charisma his excitement to be here his family's completely bought into this change and we're all backing him all the way and we're truly just fired up to get on the road what differences have you seen between his uh preparation versus uh jeff berman uh i mean uh we're definitely detailed this this year and like it's not to say that that wasn't something that we worried about last year but I feel like we're truly all honed in on minor details I mean it's been a player-led team always since I've been here and I feel like our player leaders have really stepped up with especially a coaching change and making sure that the adjustment has been smooth for everyone. How do you turn things around from uh, last year? Obviously, you know, didn't make the playoffs, didn't win the Liberty League, lost the uh, Dutchman Shoes game. So what, what's the, been the key, the focus on uh, getting ready for the season? would say that the key going into the season, honestly, is just take it one day at a time and just continue to stack the days. Um, this program, we know what the winning tradition is here. We know why guys came here. We understand what the shoes mean to us and what it means to our community. So we're just going to continue to stack the days. And with us stacking the days, it means that we're preparing for everything that we are after this fall. So it will definitely be an exciting season. What is uh, John's philosophy? I mean, for this year, what, what uh, is, is that, does that change? What how you play, and there's any differences on how you're going to prepare for this season? Can you restate the question? Yeah, I mean, with John, I mean, John, with uh, he, what kind of philosophy has he instilled on his team, and how does that change the way you your style of play? Uh, we've like honestly kept a lot of the same philosophies. I mean, we're using a team acronym called Fight this year, which means family inspired growth habit team. So we're constantly out here fighting for each other. We're constantly out here fighting for the guy next to you. And I think that's something that's going to be really pivotal moving forward for us. That it's that it's not really about you out here. It's about the guy next to you. And when you're part of a family, it's about the greater good of the family at the end of the day. Okay. The big question now is 
the nickname change from Dutchman to Garnet Chargers. What are your thoughts about it? Uh, if you want to answer that question, you have to speak to our head coach. <laughs> so that's a no comment? No comment. Uh, how much excitement are you getting ready for this uh, season opener on Saturday? I'm fired up. I mean, uh, us guys just can't wait to get back on the road. I mean, we know how we ended our season, and we know how we want to start the 2022-2023 season. So we're definitely fired up to get going. Yeah, I appreciate it. Good luck this season. Thank you so much. See you guys soon. Up next is offensive lineman Stan Koss. He's an All-Liberty League second-team selection in 2021 and 2022, a COSIDA Academic All-District First Team in 2021, and the Liberty League All-Academic Team in 2020 and 2021. Here is Stan Koss. How excited are you for the season? Oh, very excited, very excited. Uh, obviously a fifth year, looking to have an explosive last year with a new head coaching staff and uh with a bunch of my buddies coming back to hoping to have a blast to be able to have that fifth year because i know you know with division three with the pandemic and all that stuff it's kind of tough so how appreciative appreciative are you of having that fifth year obviously like i'm super beneficial to have that fifth year just to be able to play football which is what i love since covid took that away it also allowed for a lot of us especially me to develop as a better player get stronger faster and just a smarter football player so it's been very beneficial for me in my game as you mentioned new coach and john poppy uh how have the workouts been what differences do you see between what john has been doing and what uh, jeff berman did in the past uh i'd like to say jeff berman was a great head football coach for union college uh obviously brought us a 10-0 season my freshman year so no disrespect for uh coach berman at all but with Coach Poppy, he brings a lot of energy. He's a very young coach, obviously, so he brings a ton of energy to the team. He's flying around. Uh, some might say he runs more than the players on the field. He's flying around. Uh, he's been brought a great competitive edge to this team with competition periods during practice and even just day-to-day life, and it's brought a new spark and edge to the team that I think we needed. I remember back at that introductory press conference for him. He was so energetic back then. You've almost yeah. whatever run through a wall back then. So, I mean, has he been able to keep that up uh, during the, the, the uh, workouts? Oh, yeah. Yeah, each and every day. We had to practice 6 a.m. this morning. He was hooting and hollering all the way around, firing the boys up. I mean, I don't know what time he woke up or how much cups of coffee he had, but he was by far the most energetic guy in that field this morning. 6 a.m., I was sleeping. So, <laughs> anyway, uh, what philosophies – has he instilled that are different from what you had in the past? Uh, we've kind of embodied a new motto, TDF, toughness, discipline, and finish. And we've tried to embody that going into this whole season, especially when he started in workouts, just especially just the toughness and discipline and finish. Those are the things that we as a team thought when we sat down with Poppy, thought we lacked last season. So we've tried to embody that with uh, just the new practice style, weight room, like, being more hard hard on guys, calling guys out when they need to be called out, and just all around just building a better culture and a more disciplined culture. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the season over coming up soon. Uh, how excited are you for that? Oh, super excited. Uh, we get to go to Hilbert, and we get to let these guys fly around. We've been cooped up too long in camp. We're ready to fly around and hit somebody. Uh, how about the uh, offensive, uh, new, obviously new offensive coordinator? Uh, what changes have you seen with that, and how, how productive will you think it will be this year? We're getting the ball out to all our athletes. We have so many athletes on this field that need a chance to shine, and we're getting the ball to them. And a lot of players should have explosive years this year.
Final question. I know it's a controversial question, but the nickname change from Dutchman to uh, Gardner Charges. What do you think? I'd like to have no comment. <laughs> two for two on no comments right now. Stan, appreciate it. Good luck this season. Thank you very much. Defensive lineman Jack Flanagan joins me now. He appeared in all 10 games for Union last season, recorded 42 tackles with 17 solo tackles and three and a half total sacks, set a team season high with one and a half sacks in a game twice. Here is Jack Flanagan. Shots podcast, and uh, how excited are you for this uh, 2023 campaign? Well, thanks for having me, Ken. Uh, I'm very excited. This is most we're a pretty senior led team. We got a bunch of fifth years, so a lot, for a lot of us, it's our last go around in pads. So we're all really excited, and we got a nice close knit group, and we're really playing for each other, so it's good. Yeah, Stan mentioned about the uh, the fifth year. I mean, how important is it to be able to have that fifth year? Because yeah, sometimes with in Division three colleges, you don't have, and special units that have those programs where you can have a, a graduate get a graduate degree. So how important is it to be able to come back and play a fifth year? It's very important. It's very special. Football means a lot to a lot of people in this team, me included. And I'm excited I get to go out here one more time with my brothers. So I'm excited. And you get to go out. You play for a new coach and uh, John Poppy. Uh, I remember back at the introductory press conference uh, how he, excited he was. I think a lot of you guys were ready to just get out on the field right then, back then, when uh, he was the way he was talking. Uh, has he been able to keep that up uh, in practice? Shockingly enough, he has. I was a little, uh, I don't know the right word for it, but uh, perplexed, I guess, at his enthusiasm and energy. It really just kind of spreads and it gets everybody involved. It's really good. Did you ever have a coach like that in your, in your high school or, you know, Pop Warner days or anything like that? Not to this extent. A couple close, but not this energetic and, and uh, enthusiastic about what he's doing. What are the different philosophies that he has compared to what uh, the previous coach Jeff Berman had? Uh, similar to what Stan said, I uh, really appreciate all the knowledge and things that uh, Behrman and uh, Travis, Coach James, did for us. So, uh, but... I think Poppy just really has this family feel to it. He's got his, his wife and daughter at practice every once in a while, and he really just embodies uh, the family mantra that we like to carry with us, and it's been awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, how the, the guys, I mean, how the practice has been, everything uh, is everything coming into place as you get ready for the season opener? Yeah, we're, uh, we're really excited. We're uh, flying around. Uh, playing very competitive, and uh, we're, we're really excited, yeah. yeah. Uh, how much are you looking forward to that opening game uh, on Saturday? You know, I can't wait. This is this will be uh, what, maybe my 10th first game, and it'll be my last, so it's sad, but it's exciting. Yeah. I know I've been two for two on this question, so you'll probably, you'll probably make it three for three. The nickname change from yeah. Dutchman to Garnet Chargers, I know it's caused a lot of controversy around uh, social media and all that. What, I mean, does it matter to you what the name is? Uh, I'll be a Dutchman forever, no matter what, and uh, that's, that's all I'll say on that. Appreciate it, few minutes. Good luck this season. Thank you. Finally, it's quarterback Donovan Paquetti. He was an All-Liberty League selection, second team in 2022. He was a Liberty League Offensive Player of the Week three times last season, and he was also on the Liberty League All-Academic Team in 2020 and 2022. He played in nine games last year, uh, went 130 for 203 with 1,899 passing yards, only six interceptions, and he threw 16 touchdown passes. He also had 71 rushes for 327 yards and four touchdowns. Touchdowns. Here is Donovan Paquetti. Coming football season. Super excited. Um, obviously, coming back for my fifth year. Uh, new coaching staff. Um, 
I've loved every second of it. New energy, learning a new playbook. I think it's, I think it's awesome. We're clicking on all cylinders offensively, and our defense is really good. So it's good to go against, go against the best every single day in preseason camp. And I think that's only going to make us better throughout the season. Yeah, let's talk about the new offensive uh, philosophy here with you know John Poppy, new head coach. Uh, what has what changes have you seen from what you did last year? You had an exciting, great season last year. What uh, changes are in store for this season? Yeah, I think they're just uh, putting a lot of trust in me. Um, allowing me to see what I like and just if I see something on the field, I can audible. Um, and then a lot more of just passing, putting the ball in my hands, which I think is important. Um, but, yeah, no, it's – I mean, it's football's football. So I've, I've been running these schemes since I was in high school. So it's really just perfecting my craft each and every day and uh, learning the playbook. So you're pretty confident in, your, in this uh, new uh, philosophy there? Uh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Uh, now, John Poppy, obviously new coach, uh, taking over for Jeff Berman. Uh, yeah, I recall back uh, with uh, the introductory press conference how enthusiastic oh, yeah. he was and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. uh, when you guys saw that uh, enthusiasm, at the, what, what, were you, what were your thoughts first? at first? Yeah, I mean, it all started when we were doing the interview process. He came in, and he was just a different level than everybody else. You could just tell he wanted to be here. Uh, wanted to coach us, wanted to lead us, and that hasn't changed at all. Each, each and every practice, he comes out with that energy, um, gets us excited to go, and, uh, yeah, it's been awesome. The energy this preseason has been off the charts. Where does he get it from? Uh, <laughs> I think he's got a five-year-old daughter that he kind of needs that energy, so I think it just maybe stems from that, but I'm, I'm not sure. How have the practices been under him uh, so far as you get ready for the season? Um, they've been exciting. Uh, we play music. Uh, we do have a lot of competition periods, um, which I think is fun. I think that's that's what makes football a good football team is they have fun doing it. So I think every practice has been fun and enjoyable, which I think in turn just makes us makes us a better unit. All right, okay, I'm a music guy. I like my music. But uh, what kind of music do you guys play? Uh, it's a variety. So each, each positional group sends in a couple songs. Um, me personally, I send in a little bit of uh, chicken fried, a little bit of Ain't No Mountain High Enough, a little Zach Bryan, so some oldies, some country, but we, we mix in some rap, some uh, R&B, some Rihanna even, so we're, we're all over the place. All right, I'm, uh, I'll get you with Ain't No Mountain High Enough. I like that song. That's song. my song. My, I'm, I'm over 60 years old, so yeah. I, I'm, I'm still not used to rapping Rihanna. I mean, okay, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Ain't No Mountain High, <laughs> no High Enough is always a, uh, a solid one for yeah, sure. So. That, was, that was mine, by the way, just to, just to get credit. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of music do you like? I mean, obviously, I mean, what, what, what's your favorite? Um, I really listen to everything. I mean, before a game, I'll listen to rap. Uh, when I'm just hanging out at, with my friends, we'll listen to country, old rock, some Tom Petty, a little bit of everything. All right, okay. You got me in time, Petty. I'm, I'm good with that. <laughs> so um, how much are you looking forward to that season opera coming up? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously – um, I took the spring off so I could come back for this fall and fifth year. So I haven't really played football since last season up until this preseason. I didn't get to play spring ball. So um, I'm ready to go out and compete and just uh, dominate in every way we can. How important is that fifth year coming back for you? Because, I mean, I know with, with Union, with it doesn't have a, a graduate program. Uh, so how important was it to take that uh, semester off in the spring and come back and play? Uh, yeah, um, obviously – Fifth year was something that I really wanted to do. Um, then me and my parents just worked it out where didn't want to have to pay for an extra term. So I just took off that term and uh, substituted in here and worked, worked out well. Final question, and that's a controversial question. The nickname change from Dutchman to Garner Chargers. Uh, your thoughts? I mean, you've, you've been a Dutchman uh, for four years here. Or what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a big change, hot topic. 
Um, but to be honest, I I came to Union College. I came to Union College because of the academics, the height, the good athletics, the good football team, and the alumni network, and uh, that hasn't changed. So I go out every day. I play for Union College, um, whether we're the Dutchman, Garner Chargers, doesn't matter. I'm just going out, going out to compete. All right, Chip Donovan, appreciate it if you missed that. Uh, good luck to see you. Thanks, appreciate it. Up next, we're going to rock into the night with 38 Special as they get set to play a concert at uh, Rivers Casino in Schenectady. Their lead singer, Don Barnes, will join me next. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. If you really want to know what's going on in your community, you have to read the Daily Gazette. We don't take a side. We're right down the middle, and we're going to get to the truth. Our reporters and photographers are out in the field bringing you updates every minute with trust, accuracy, and integrity. From the first page to the last page, independent, probing journalism. We're finding out what's going on in the community where nobody else is covering. It's who we are. It's what we do. Hi, this is Union Men's Hockey alum Scott Boyd. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Sports Editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast, and that's 38 Special with Hold On Loosely, one of the many hits the band has had in their long and storied career. 38 Special is going to be playing at Rivers Casino Friday night at 7 o'clock. It should be a lot of fun. And on Tuesday, I had a chance to talk to their lead singer, Don Barnes, about the, the visit coming up, and it was a great conversation. Here is Don Barnes. Well, Don, welcome to the podcast. It's truly an honor to have you on. I, I think you may be the first rock musician I've had on this podcast since I started it in 2018. Oh, really? Well, it's my pleasure to be here, Ken. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So how much are you guys looking forward, forward to doing a Friday show here at the Rivers Casino? <laughs> oh, man, we've been looking forward to it. We're all in, all in the country. Just came out from out west and the heat and the desert air and all that we're ready to get back with a little bit of humidity you know <laughs> yeah the weather's supposed, to, weather's supposed to be kind of cool here so uh, you know, at, as we're talking here tuesday it's supposed to rain wednesday so i think you're catching the uh schenectady at the right time uh we'll see what you can do about that can talk to talk to somebody yeah you know? have you guys been to the uh schenectady albany troy area before we have we have before with a lot of manic fans up there they know the 38 special brings that party we've got the, the new show this year we lined everything up we take them for a ride man but you know we're, we're not one of those bands that says uh, you know plays one song that says thank you very much our next song is this you know we're we're, we're slamming these hits through the years one after another they're banged up against each other people can't believe all the songs we did from movies and everything we did we got everything in there. The whole history unfolded in front of you. You know, it's yeah. a, uh, you know, we, we want to make sure they hear the favorite song, whether it was 
you know, Back to Paradise from Revenge of the Nerds movie, you know, <laughs> or Teacher Teacher. We A and M Records had a, a subsidiary, A and M Films, so we were like the token rock band. We it was great. They was like, well, they'd send us another another project to do. So we we had extra hit songs besides the ones on the radio. But uh, so we we put them all on the show. We've had, we've got a. A uh, great uh, interlude in the middle with Jerry Riggs. This guy's a master on the guitar. Man, yep. this guy's. I told him, I said, Jerry, that stuff's not on my guitar. I don't. <laughs> I might need an upgrade or something, you know. But this guy's like Jeff Beck or something. So he just mesmerized. He he was. Uh, you remember the, the movie Heavy Heavy Metal yep. back in the eighties? Yep. <laughs> he had a band called Riggs, and and the first song that opens the movie is Radar Rider, and he that was the band Riggs, and, and uh, so we he does a little Radar writer in the show and then he does a couple other scenes from the movies that kind of takes the audience to a different place for a minute just about three minutes but it it mesmerizes people because we're all about rocking and it's on you know 10 and on 11 you know yeah. and then in the, in the middle we give them a little uh, little relief there and it's like a david gilmore a pink floyd thing mm -hmm. but people just love that because it's just a different mood and then uh you know shows a little little, little showbiz thing there for him you know yeah. of course it gives him gives me a minute to get back there and drink some tea and towel off and everything <laughs> keep going but, well, <laughs> but we have a great time it's it's uh it, it's everything we it's a celebration that yeah. brotherhood yeah let's mention what, members of the band here besides you who, who else is in the band right now well jerry jerry riggs the other guitar player we've got uh, bobby caps as a keyboard vocalist Gary Moffat, it's just all these guys are legends and kings, let me tell you. Got Gary Moffat, great drummer, but top one, one of the top ones in the country. Uh, Barry Dunaway, uh, excellent bassist. He played with, I was playing with everybody, but he, he, he toured, toured the world with Inge Malmsteen, if you remember who, who that is, Swedish guitarist. Mm -hmm. uh, but all these guys are just, like I said, I'm surrounded by legends and kings. It kind of makes, makes my job a lot easier. <laughs> you know? But, uh, you know, so it's a real celebration. We roll down the road. Everybody has a great time, and you know, trading insults with each other, and that kind of thing, so like 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 boys do, you know. But uh, people can tell that we still we actually still like each other, Ken. We, we you know we all get along, and, and uh, so it's uh, they they can see that 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 brotherhood is still there. We pull in the crowds with us. And uh, everybody, it's a, it's a great time. It's a, it's a great job to bring that kind of joy to people. We see them out there singing along, high-fiving. You see tears in their eyes. You know, a song might remind them of an era in their life or someone they were with or something. And uh, a couple times it gets me a little emotional. Just I can't look at them. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, but it's an hour and 40 minutes, and it's a, it's a ride. We take them all the way through. And, uh, you know, at the end, it's uh, we're exhausted and everybody's exhausted along with us. So more bang for the buck, I yeah. guess, right? Yeah. Big question yeah. I've always wanted to ask if I ever got a, uh, rock a legendary rock musician on like yourself. What keeps you going? Uh, just that, what I just told you, the spirit of all that. Now, let me tell you, we were young boys with a dream, just like every kid in the neighborhood. <laughs> We started out, you know, day jobs and trying to put a band, get people who would show up and show up for a rehearsal and that kind of thing. And and then you pay your dues and you fail and you got to accept all that failure at first because no one knows who you are. So, 
most people think Hold On Loosely was off our first album. That was our fourth album. Yeah. And so the first three pretty much went over the cliff. <laughs> so we were, you know, we had to pick yourself up and still write more songs, try to get that, the, the, the uh, craft of, you know, songwriting together and try to get radio to embrace you and all that. But uh, Rockin' Into the Night uh, was the first single that, that actually kind of cracked the door at radio. And it was, uh, you know, new band, 30th special here, Rockin' Tonight. And so, it, you know, it charted, it did pretty well, but we backed it up with Hold On Loosely, the next album, uh, Wild Eyed Southern Boys. And it just, we knocked the doors down and everybody, you know, it's, it took off from there. But it was hard fought and it was, came a long way. But those young boys with a dream, we, 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 we finally broke through. 20 million records sold. So, yeah. we, you know. What was it like? Uh, it's not, it's not, I got to tell you, it's not something I recommend somebody try to do. <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna starve. You know, so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What, what was it like back then? I mean, I know you know artists today, you know, have take time between albums, but back then, I think the, the record company exerted a lot of pressure on bands. That, you know, they wanted albums every year. You guys were oh, touring, yeah. and how, how crazy was that? I mean, the, the pressure of all that. It was, it was a lot of pressure. You know, it's like if you if you wrote books and you were at a publishing deal and they said, well, you've got another book uh, due in six months and you don't have the first word on the first page yet. <laughs> so you're like, on a sunny day, dot, dot, dot. You know? yeah. <laughs> so we had, we had finished one of the uh, tours with nine months of the tour and, uh, you know, you're promoting and just going to interviews and, and in-store record signings and all you're doing the shows and the arenas and everything and about nine months of that and you're worn out and everybody took their little week vacations and then it was time to and we were contractually obligated just to give you an example of the pressure we were contractually obligated to have an album out in six months and we had not an idea of one note mm. coming off this album <laughs> so I was, I'd been dating this girl and going to, out to dinner and having some fun. I said, you know, I just can't seem to get any work done. I'm just so caught up in you all the time. <laughs> and it was just like a light bulb went on. And mm -hmm. so songwriters, you have to have a little antenna out there that you're always looking for one little key thing that might get you one step forward, you know. So I thought, you know, that's a pretty good title. It's positive. It's kind of happy. You, know, you can make a nice story out of it. People can relate to it. With songs, you got to have truth in them anybody can say oh baby i love you i miss you you know yeah. that's contrived but if you've got some real story there that i never did suspect a thing this happened to me and you you've done this and you've come into my life you know, people relate to that sort of thing uh you know hold on loosely was <clears throat> we wrote with uh jim peterick you've probably heard of him yeah. from survivor yeah. band survivor this guy went on to write eye of the tiger which was number one around the world yes. you know so he's no slouch but we uh we got together first time we ever met him we got there and uh we were at his breakfast table there and you know we're kind of exchanging niceties and you know meeting each other and uh he said so you know we've been touring and making races how you guys been doing you know and i was like and i've been going through kind of a bad time with a relationship and it was not not going to work out i said uh, you know, songwriters again have little notebooks, and titles, and lines of songs. It just kind of helps you uh, helps you along. And I said, I said, what is it about people that can't seem to tolerate their differences? They want to change the other person. They want to keep them under the thumb. And, you know, it's frustrating. And I said, what do you think about this title? Hold on loosely. And he said, Oh yeah, but don't let go. And that was the first thing out of his mouth, and it was perfect 
couplet, perfect bookend. And we, two hours later, we had the whole song. It's a pretty simple song. The chords, the chorus chords are the same chords as the verse. Mm-hmm. But but for the simplicity is the beauty in it, you know? So we had that. And all these decades later, people, that's an anthemic song for us. People are waiting for that. And uh, it, it, people have come up and said, that you don't know what that song meant to our marriage and all these things. Jeez, we were just trying to get on the radio. <laughs> I mean, it's a good piece of advice, I guess. Yeah. But, you know, we were, again, trying to get on the radio. So. Yeah. yeah, 38 uh, Special yeah. was part of that big group of Southern rock artists in the 1970s where really Southern rock took off, including the Allman Brothers, Leonard Skinner, Charlie Daniels Band, and Marshall Tucker Band. How would you describe Southern rock? It is from that blues base. That, you know, it started in the 70s. Now, when we came out, it was more waning at the time. We, we'd already, uh, I got to tell you that we had been trying in that style. Uh, we did, uh, like I said, the first couple of albums. And Ronnie Van Zandt, who was a big mentor for the band, he was five years older than us. And he said, stop trying to be a clone of what's, what's already happened, what's already been done. And we realized that yeah well it had been done by the best all those guys and almonds and all that you know but and we thought he said try to find what makes your heart sing what what are your influence put try to develop that and and make it you you know so we realized we were more fans of uh, the melody the british invasion bands animals and the beatles big beatles fans you know so we like the strong rock songs with great stories good melody over the top and it, it wasn't really southern rock anymore it was more arena rock and we we like that style we call it melody and muscle you know you have the mus- muscular guitars and a good good melody over the top we figured hey but they broke don't fix it you know so that's where we are but southern rock definitely came from the blues based uh uh you know era and and uh you know but we weren't we weren't a group that was singing about bad whiskey and women and that kind of thing. We were more trying to look at relationship-oriented songs. Yeah. You, know? you, you mentioned the Beatles. I mean, who other? What else was your musical influences? Uh, as a guitar player, uh, I was, you know, my, as a kid, I had pictures of Clapton all over my walls, of Cream, you know, and mm-hmm. Hendrix and uh, Leslie West from Mountains. We were, of course, you know, Free and Bad Company and ZZ Top and all that. So we were all big guitar fans, big amps and everything, you know, not just small amps, big giant, you know, rows of amplifiers and loud and all. And so uh, we came from that school of thought, you know, uh, some of these like country bands we played on some of these package things were like the token rock band. Well, they're all on the side of the stage because they want to be rockers. They want to they want to have big amps and do it that way. But they're a little more twang. But we came from the other side of it all. And so it's uh, crank a guitar up to 10 and, you know, be 22 years old again. You yeah. know, so. But uh, vocally, Steve Winwood, uh, Paul Rogers, Bad mm-hmm. Company, yeah. uh, even, and it goes all the way back to the soul music of the, of the 60s and all that. I was a big fan of all those stuff, you know, Marvin Gaye, all, it, just everybody that, that, could, that could really put some spirit and soul in the, in the singing. So uh, I still, you know, it's an insecure thing to try to write songs anyway. And it's all, it'd be more insecure to try to perform as a singer, you know, because so, mm-hmm. uh, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it, you know. So yeah. I was fortunate fortunate that radio did like the sound of my voice, and uh, 
uh, had learned to sing correctly back in school and all that from the diaphragm. And Greg Allman famously said, sing like somebody's going to punch, punch you in the stomach. <laughs> That's what you, you have to keep it down there, kind of harden your diaphragm so you don't wear out your throat because you got to do it every night. You know? So uh, learned a lot of, a lot of tricks of that. Yep. That trade there through the years. I want to take it back to uh, August 29th, 1981. You, uh, the band played a uh, concert in Germany. It was, I guess, your first trip to Germany, and it was captured uh, captured by Rock Palast, uh, and it's now there's a uh -huh. CD and DVD set is now out from that concert. What do you remember about that night? Because it seemed like it seemed like a special night. As, as I said, it was your first trip to Germany. Yeah, it was it was a great uh, trip over there. We had uh, we was way up on top of a mountain. It was a big uh, venue out called Rock Palast, and they had a TV station out there. They were interviewing, and it was kind of tough to hear their their dialect, trying to understand what they're transferring from tra translating from German to English. You know, we had a translator there, but uh, the drive through the Rhine River is it was in Lorelei. So this is the most idyllic. Uh, area, it looks like a storybook. You're driving along the Rhine River, and there was a, a big old ancient tower there where the king used to put his daughter up there. And they said sometimes, sometimes at night you can still hear her crying up there. All these, a storybook. It's looked it's down into a, a drive up there, but uh, it was all new to us. We got up there, and the fans came out, and we, but looking back, we see that fire and that drive that we had even that far back, and we still have that drive and fire, you know. But we came out and it was a triumph, and we just threw it and just exploded that place. And uh, and luckily they filmed it, and it had been in, on the shelf all these years, and a guy got in touch with me, a German guy, said, we want to release this uh, on their label, MIG label over there. And uh, and then uh, I talked to Donnie Van Zandt, who said, he said well, is, is it any good? I said, man, it's killer. I said, yeah, you got to check it out. But uh, it's called Rock Last, and uh, it was 1981, big DVD. And, of course, a lot more hair back then. I mean, about three feet of hair. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know that, yeah. trust me. I, yeah, I the, the clothes. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's funny to see the styles of clothes and hair and everything back then. But uh, we had a great time. But it was a memorable time. And uh, we were glad to see it come out. And it's just, a, like I said, it's a look back. It's, a, it's got some nice nice photos and, and little interviews and things that it went with. <laughs> Uh, they did a good job packaging it and putting it. I called Rock Palast, thirty-eight special at uh, Laurel Live, uh, Germany. Okay, and uh, yeah, yeah, it sounds like a good time there. Uh, I mean, how good is it with the concerts today? You're, you're playing. How I me? Mean, you, you have to see. I guess younger fans are going there as much as the people yeah. my age. I mean, how good is it to see younger fans who weren't born when you were churning out the hits coming to your concerts? It is crazy. I mean, we're all different ages, you know, because the original fans had played our records in their house, and then the kids got influenced by that. And then they they grew up and had kids, and that you know, so they continued. We we didn't count on that either. We didn't realize we were perpetually, you know, uh, uh, evergreen. I guess you could say, but uh, you know, the the music is 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 uh, timeless because it does have that truth in it, and everybody can relate to it, no matter what era recorded whatever and uh that's what we do in the live show we we recreate those songs and it sounds just like the records loud and clean it's not distorted or anything but we make sure it's it's has just as much passion and conviction as the first time we played it because yeah. that's what that's what we were all about 
we weren't about up there jamming and you know running around. We were just you know recreate this stuff and make a joyful uh, event out of everything. And uh, you know, so everybody's uh, everybody knows that we we recreate it. And uh, I can still still hit high notes after all these years. So that's a good thing. <laughs> well, tickets for the thirty eight special concert start at sixty five dollars. Go to Rivers Casino slash Schenectady and click on the endless entertainment link. Doors open at six and the concert begins at seven. Don, uh, thank you again for coming on the, for the podcast and a lot of fun chatting with you and uh great soon but uh boy if i didn't have to work i'd be over there on friday night oh we should come back and say hello but everybody make it out we're gonna have a large time it's a it's a ride we'll take you for the ride and through the history and you're not gonna believe all the hit songs we're about 16 hit songs in a row and uh uh, so it's a, it's a good celebration of that brotherhood. So uh, everybody can come out and be part of it. All right. I appreciate it, Kim. Appreciate Thanks for that. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much. We'll be back to wrap up the podcast and have the latest winner of the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest in just a moment. Meet Andrew Waite. He's a dedicated journalist with a passion for research and a commitment to getting all sides of the story. Whether it's a local issue or an upstate trend, I do the stories and interviews that shed light on what's important to you. Stay informed. Read Andrew Waite in the Daily Gazette. It's my job to offer commentary about what's happening in our community and what it means to our readers. The Gazette, reporting based on accuracy and integrity. It's who we are. It's what we do. Manager of the Tri City Valley Cats and former Major League Baseball player. You're listening to the Parting Shot podcast with Daily Gazette, Associate Sports Editor, and upstate New York's biggest Philadelphia Phillies fan, Ken Shot. Back to wrap up the podcast. The Week 26 winner in the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest was Jeffrey Thayer of Schenectady with 30 points. Jeffrey wins a $50 ShopRite gift card. Congratulations, Jeffrey. The VIP winner was Dwayne Leach of All Seasons Equipment with 10 points. That's the third straight week that the winner for the VIPs only had 10 points. We're not doing well, guys. Let's pick it up. I'll announce the auto racing contest winner's name, and that winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. To play, go to dailygazette.com and click on the auto racing contest banner. The pro football season is here, and that means it's time to play the Daily Gazette's You Pick em Football Contest. Predict the winners of each week's games, and you'll have a chance to win a $100 Hannaford gift card. To play, go to dailygazette.com and click on the You Pick em Football banner. Just because COVID-19 mandates are easing, that does not mean you should relax. Be vigilant. If you have not gotten vaccinated or received a booster shot, please do so. Do it for yourself. Do it for your family and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Party Shots podcast. I want to thank Mike McAdam, John Poppy, Deonis Polanco, Stan Koss, Jack Flanagan, Donovan Pachetti, and Don Barnes for coming on the show. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on X and threads at Slapshots. The views expressed in the Party Shots podcast are not necessarily those of the Daily Gazette Company. The Party Shots podcast is a production of the Daily Gazette Company. I'm Daily Gazette Sports Editor Ken Shot. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Party Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, and rest in peace, Bob Barker. 
who hosted The Price is Right for 35 years and who also hosted Truth or Consequences. He died last Saturday at the age of 99. He was a true icon among game show hosts. He also had a memorable role in the Adam Sandler movie Happy Gilmore, where he beat up Happy Gilmore in a fight on the golf course. It's classic. Thank you for everything, Bob Barker.